episode 17. We only have two insiders today, but your wine tech insiders are the best suited for this great topic, logistics. Um, it's not that sexy, but it's really core to getting wines to people. It's really core to tech, and we're going to find out more about it now. Um, I'd like to welcome Nick from Wine Owners. Hello. And Jonathan from Bottle Books. Hello. Um, Nick, let's start off with you. Um, Biden is looking to shake up the three-tier system in the U.S. He's looking at a number of industries, and um, he's looking at beer, wine, and spirits. Um, mm. First, maybe, actually, I'm going to start off with Jonathan. Jonathan, could you just explain, you're American, could you just explain what the three-tier system is um, for those listeners who um, are not uh, are not American, um, are not selling wines in the U.S.? Well, the three-tier system is essentially separating production, distribution, and, um, and retail, um, in, um, uh, and having it be regulated independently by each of the, um, each of the states. Um, and so while you can see a, the U.S. being an absolutely massive market, um, it is also one of the most difficult markets, or it has been at least one of the most difficult markets to sell into, um, even if you are an American producer, let alone, you know, being a producer from, from abroad. Nick, what was your first reaction to this? Yeah, so my, my first reaction was probably about time something needs to happen at, at presidential level for there to be... Um, a progressive way forward. There was a case in um, the summer of 2019, um, uh, which was um, Tennessee Wine and Spirits versus Thomas, which was really all about whether it was possible for a small out-of-state retailer to sell into another state. And the Supreme Court basically ruled um, uh, that um, it was illegal to um, discriminate against out-of-state businesses. Um, and at that point, the world thought that this was the beginning of a um, sea change in opening up um, the US market, uh, enabling interstate shipping to take place much more widely than it already is today. Only 14 states allow you to ship from out of state into that state. But since um, that, that Tennessee ruling um, in 2019, um, you know, it kind of feels like, um, I think Wine Searcher described it as whack-a-mole, which is, you know, every time, you know, the Supreme Court says, right, we're gonna favor free trade, then, um, there, there's a there's a there's a flurry of of um, cases at the state level um, that challenge that ruling. So it kind of feels like we've been going back and forth over the last two years with no real progress being made. And maybe this is a a kind of once and for all attempt to try and cut through all of that mess and establish the principle of free trade between states within what is, after all, um, or what should be, a single market, but which is But, but uh, Jonathan, you, you know that, that, if anything, the states 
are going comp more independent. I mean, you know, left, right states, all of this. Do you think this is even realistic that, that Biden can do this? That is uh, probably above my pay grade to answer that question. But I think there, I mean, there's, from a consumer perspective, there's definitely a room for improvement. Where I grew up, if you wanted to get a bottle of wine, you had to go to the liquor store an entirely unsexy name for where you had to go if you wanted anything more than light, uh, light beer. So um, being able to have other ways of, of getting that would be, um, I think it would, it would just make it a bit, um, yeah, more open um, and, and uh, easier to explore. And, and what, uh, Nick, what's the MP, MP like what, what's the problem for tech with, with all of these rules? What, what is- so I, so I think the problem, one of the basic problems uh, for tech is establishing um, processes that are best practice and conform with the spirit of the law and the direction of travel versus what's actually happening on the ground. So what's actually happening on, so for example, in principle, businesses that, who are shipping across state line into the 14 states, for example, that they are um, able to ship into, um, should really be paying um, destination state taxes. So they should be um, registering for a permit. Uh, they should be using um, compliance uh, uh, API calls in order to um, essentially um, register the tax that's due in the state that they're shipping into. No one other than a handful of big players like Total are really doing that at all because it's, it's, it's enormously uh, burdensome. Um, small retailers really struggle with the costs of permits and the, um, the bureaucratic overhead of all of that. And the reality is that as long as you remit sales tax on everything that you sell in the state that you are um, located in no one's really going to bother you so so that's the first challenge do you build for the reality of today where you know people are ignoring um what 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 we think will embed itself as best practice over the next two or three years um, uh, or do you um, do you um, build um, and integrate with third-party um, providers such as um, tax compliance um, uh, information uh, providers in order to uh, in order to um, you know set up the platform in order to support um, uh, in, in order to support businesses uh, now, but into the future as well. So I think that's that's certainly one of the challenges that we face as a business um, that is providing um, uh, retail uh, management platforms, um, retail management software into the US market. Um, and, and what's the biggest, bigger picture here, Jonathan? The the what are we doing? What's this going to do for for businesses, for tech companies? Um, what if all the rules were, you know, what if it operated as one market? What what would change? I think you're going to definitely have some. Um, you're going to have some winners, and you're going to have some losers. Um, on the losing side, will be any uh, company that has been. Um, uh, 
may be in existence solely for the reason of, of mitigating this, this highly complex rule system in the US. If that disappears, the reason for you charging your customers for your service also disappears. Um, on the other hand, it does uh, for the winners, like the small wineries being able to uh, make deals directly um, gives you just, it becomes a whole new game in, to sell wine in the US. If you don't have to, if you don't have to go through all of the jump through all of the hoops, um, you you don't have such a disadvantage compared to the to the bigger ones. Um, so it's it depends on who you are, but it, it can really it, it is going if it if it happens, um, a lot of people's businesses I think are going to um, significantly shift one way or the other. So so what about a, a, a small or medium sized producer in? Portugal or Germany or something, will, will they have more access to the market likely because of this? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that is, um, is really interesting living in, um, in Germany, also like the Benelux and the UK is that I think these three um, or four countries um, have some of the highest diversity of wines in the world. Um, it, also happens to be that we have some of the least amount of regulation when it comes to um, to spirits, and um, I think that's uh, it's it's yeah it's I think you can you you can look at what we have over here um, and what what it could go to towards in the U.S. And so if it's really I mean for somebody for for a producer from Portugal to ship wine uh, to Germany, um, it is an extremely straightforward process for them to to do. It's not free. Um, but it's it's very very simple um, by comparison, um, and to do in the U.S. they just they literally can't do that. Um, and so if you could sell into the U.S. from Portugal, just as you can into Germany or into the U.K., um, it's uh, it it really is a game changer. Now whether every producer is able to actually capitalize on that and is able to um, actually do business directly in the U.S. from Portugal, six times, six or nine time zones difference. Um, there's other challenges to selling to the other side of the world um, than just being blocked out through bureaucracy, but at least it's, it's, uh, it opens it up for those who can, who can do that. I mean, I think it will create, if it, if it were to happen, and that clearly isn't going to happen overnight, um, uh, and it will take, no doubt, um, years rather than months, um, it will, I think, completely transform um, the landscape of what um, wine distribution and retailing looks like in the US. You know, it's, I think 70% of wine distributed in the, in the US is dominated by a handful of extremely large, huge, huge businesses. So you know, quite contrary to a lot of the arguments, this is, this is not about um, um, trying, the three-tier system is not there in order to foster competition. It is quite the opposite. It is to protect the interests of very small numbers of distributors who account for an eye-wateringly high percentage of wine distributed across the US. So you take that away and you make it easier for the small and mid-sized players to be able to reach a much, much bigger addressable market of whatever it is, 350 million consumers, it's a game changer. And what about wine tech? I mean, is this, is this a good thing for, for wine tech? Is it a good thing for, for uh, Jonathan, how about you? Is it a good thing for 
bottle books, does it, is it a good thing for, for apps or, or other wine to, uh, companies that you're close with? Um, what would it mean? I think anytime you're removing regulatory hurdles, you're, you're simplifying it. Um, and it allows um, companies like ours to focus on, um, on the more value-adding um, side of the business instead of um, spending as much on complexity that's just caused by, um, by, um, by regulation. Um, so I think just through the simplicity alone, it just allows you to spend more focus, more of your, de- uh, of your development resources on, on other topics. Um, and, and Nick, um, the U.S. isn't the only um, uh, country right now having shipping problems um, or logistics problems. Um, the U.K., uh, there are reports um, in the papers that uh, there won't be any Prosecco at Christmas, that uh, there are no lorry drivers, that uh, the wine's sitting somewhere in a warehouse but can't get anywhere. Is this... Is this like the other side of the EU banana story, or is this a real thing um, that is really uh, troubling the the industry? Yeah, I think it's a real thing that's really troubling the industry. We've lost, um, I think, uh, 20,000 HGV drivers. um, And um, uh, whilst businesses are desperately trying to recruit um, new ones and have doubled or trebled hourly rates in order to attract them in. I think um, distribution into the UK is stressed. The government has essentially suspended all um, import checks into the UK from the EU. So ironically, having gone through Brexit to take back control, all of the goods that are being moved out of the UK into the EU, EU are being checked and nothing coming into the UK from the EU is subject to any checks and any tariffs. So the reason they've done that is because they know there's a problem. They know the system, the distribution system is stressed. Um, It's probably been exacerbated by um, the amount of time that's been taken to land um, uh, wine and spirits in the UK due to um, paperwork that people weren't used to, paperwork that, that um, distribution businesses weren't used to. Um, so we're seeing, we're seeing stress throughout the system, not just in terms of getting wine moved around, but the amount of time that it takes to actually land wines into a warehouse once it arrives. Jonathan, are you hearing anything different or anything to add on? Um, uh, I mean, not specifically to the UK. Um, I do think that that it is, um, you know, with with COVID as well as part of the um, as part of the bigger picture, it is it is very interesting. I think is the best way you could describe it to see how um, how logistics um, have changed or have trended in different countries. Um, in the U.S., um, obviously, you're having lots of uh, shortages and prices are going up just because the supply chain is not able to keep up with the mm. with the pent up demand. Um, but that maybe also has something to do with how um, how much of the workforce was let go. Um, whereas other uh, other markets, other countries um, kept the workforces on, uh, paid unpaid um, lower employment subsidies or, or reduced employment subsidies. Um, and then as soon as the demand was there from one week to the next production was able to jump up. So I think, um, you know, that's, it's, 
it's the we're definitely not back to where uh, things were before, and it's questionable how how long it's going to take um, to have things sort of, you know, have these processes that were honed for thirty years, um, have them be adapted and optimized for this this new the, the, this new way of of, of working. Um, but I did think, um, uh, you know, going back to the to the U.S. and removing the three tier system, it's interesting if uh, if these um, if these trends continue, how much of the uh, beer, wines, and spirits companies will actually be this will become irrelevant to them for a certain segment of their of their production um, when they're no longer doing controlled beverages. If they're doing no alcohol beverages, um, then it is. It does also have some impact on your logistical overhead. Um, uh, other things in the news: um, no low, no and low alcohol wines. Um, no and low is growing segment: 30, 20 percent, thirty-three percent in beer and spirits. Um, and now there are wines coming out with with low and no alcohol. Um, you know, it ties into um, seltzer is is booming in 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 North America. Uh, flavored fizzy water like watermelon with bubbles and and all of this. Um, it, it is this maybe a it, Jonathan? Maybe I'll go to you. I mean, is this is this a are, are people moving these wines? Is this a new product that uh, winemakers can can deliver to a new segment? I think absolutely. Um, I think it depends on your philosophy and what you're wanting to do with, with your business. But if you're looking to create handcrafted beverages for your for 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 your customers, there's lots of ways to do that with with what your current production um, is. It may not look like anything you're making today, um, but um, it is, there seems to be a, quite a strong um, audience. And what really caught me by surprise was one of the recent articles that said that alcohol consumption had dropped 50% um, in the UK. Um, and that while certain segments have grown, overall consumption is, has shifted to non-alcoholic beverages. So it's, it's, um, uh, there's definitely some, some major shifts underway. Nick, what do you think? I mean, I've always thought of the UK as glorious alcohol drinkers, perhaps the <laughs> I mean, incredible, you know, made champagne, Bordeaux, port wine. Um, and uh, could you see a day where uh, Nolo is, is uh, really competing on the aisles with, uh, with alcohol yeah, wine? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an interesting observation you make, um, David. I remember. Um, that um, when the Scottish football team visited Tel Aviv and brought their fans along, the consumption during uh, the three or four days at and around um, that football match exceeded the entire alcohol consumption for the whole of Israel for the whole of the year. Um, so yes, there is a certain reputation, isn't there, for the British Isles um, to... Um, enjoy a drink or two. Um, uh, you know, I think it's a different market, actually. I do think that there is a um, uh, something of a shift, or at least there's a category, you know, there's a there's a subset, there's a there's a there's a cohort of um, 
of, uh, of consumers who are moving to healthier lifestyles. And for some, that means, that means not drinking alcohol or drinking much less alcohol. But I, I do think that we're talking about um, a, a new category, a beverage category, which is something that, frankly, I don't know that much about. After all, you know, we're specialists in, in wine and spirits. Um, I do think looking at the fine wine end of the market, which obviously is the completely polar opposite to the sorts of beverage that we're talking here, that there absolutely is, and I'm sure we've probably touched upon it before, there is absolutely a trend towards um, moderating alcohols to the extent that that's possible. We're seeing much more interest in naturally lower alcohol wines, such as German cabinets coming in at maybe eight and a half, um, percent um, alcohol by value by volume rather um, and and we're obviously seeing um, a conscious effort on behalf of new world winemakers to pick earlier fresher and produce wines with low alcohol so 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 that was I, I kind of sort of stole the conversation and went in another direction with it I'm afraid but there, there clearly there clearly is a um a broader theme around moving towards um palatable digestible wines jonathan do you see this in the the big data collectors are they are they highlighting are they looking for their more sort of low alcohol wines or Absolutely. I mean, we see this across the board that the percentage of the, the wines in people's portfolios, um, that, that there is more and more uh, no and low alcohol uh, wines in their portfolio. Um, what's interesting about this is that um, from a data collection standpoint is there uh, can be every bit as much a story behind and, and depth in the, uh, of information that you're collecting on it. Um, but uh, from a regulatory perspective, once you uh, dip below a certain alcohol percentage, you're no longer um, uh, free of the uh, regulatory information um, that non-alcohol or uh, non-alcoholic beverages have had to deal with for, for years. Um, and so in addition to collecting all of the all of the, the typical information or the, inform the usual information, uh, for wine, beer, and spirits, you're also having to collect uh, things like calories. Uh, you do have to collect things like calories and how much salt and how much carbohydrates because you're you're no longer classified as an alcoholic beverage. So it's it there's definitely increases and it does change. Um, the, the regulations are different for these beverages. All right. Well, that was it. Episode 17 of the Wine Tech Insiders. Thank you so much, Jonathan from Bottle Books and Nick from Wine Owners. We'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Bye.